Amen. Wow. Wow. I lift my hands in total praise of you. Thank you, praise team. Thank you for that. Wow. That, just thank you. Thank you for bringing us once again to the throne of grace, the throne of heaven, where we can praise Jesus. Um, I know a lot of you, some of you don't know me. I'm Bob Van Fletteren. I'm, I'm currently serving as one of the elders here at Strong Tower. What, what is Getting some sort of a signal here from Jerry, who's trying to tell me something. Magic. So I forgot who I was. Uh, I'm Bob Van Flitter, and I'm one of the elders here at Strong Tower. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, I noticed we saw a couple of visitors today. Uh, I am not Chris Williamson, although I bear a striking resemblance to Chris. <laughs> we are brothers in Christ. Um, he's a much bigger man than I am, uh, a very dynamic uh, speaker, and I highly welcome you back here again next week when he'll be back in the pulpit. But he's invited me to, uh, to speak um, today. And today we're going to be uh, looking at the Word of God again, as we always do. It's a privilege. It's an incredible privilege that God gave us His Word. It's an amazing thing to me sometimes when I think about it. But um, I hope everybody had a, a good Independence Day, good Fourth of uh, July uh, celebration. You all did something. I, I presume everybody did something. It was we were we were talking in the back before service. Um, uh, with, I was talking with Baraka, um, who was standing about here five minutes ago with the deep voice. And uh, he was saying they had sort of a potluck in his neighborhood. And, and that's what we did all the time when I was a kid. When, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I loved Fourth of July because we lived in this neighborhood where every house was exactly the same. We all had these little 900 square foot houses that I think listed for about 10,000 bucks. So it was kind of a low rent area, but uh, everybody knew everybody. And, and, and there was... If I remember right, and I had the paper out, so I ought to remember, there was 19 of them on the east side and 19 of them on the west side that comprised Blair Street. And everybody came out on the 4th of July, and this was like my favorite holiday uh, because it was the middle of summer, and it was more than just a three-day weekend, you know, which is what you got in the school year. This was, the school was nowhere in the distant past, nowhere in the distant future. It was just the middle of summer. You could do whatever you wanted to do. Maybe you didn't have this experience, but I did, and I enjoyed it. I loved it. I loved the 4th of July. There was food everywhere. Everybody brought stuff out, and, and you'd go down the line. And if you went down the line with me, you'd grab your paper plate, and there was, you know, hamburgers and hot dogs and barbecue chicken, and I always went for the hamburger every single time. It was predictable. I didn't know about E. coli back then, and it was, it was, <laughs> it was something I could count on. I hit it with a couple of pickles and a piece of lettuce, and and, and, and then you could keep on going down the aisle, and there was that jello. You know, maybe you had this when you were a kid, too, or maybe you still have it. Around me, there was always things in the jello. Like, pe pe people put stuff in the jello, like shaved carrots and stuff. And, like, man, it, it, to a kid, that was a, a waste of a perfectly good jello. You, know, <laughs> you, you had this potential there that was just destroyed. And there was always a corner cut out of it, right? There was a corner cut out which I think was made by the Jell-O maker, you know, to, to try to prove that somebody came before them and ate some, but <laughs> never tricked me. I skipped the Jell-O. You, you move on to that, to that, that um, multiple bean salad. Um, some people call it like a three bean salad or a five bean salad. And man, you're a kid looking at that thing. There's some stuff in there that don't look like beans at all. I'm like, 
Like, wow, I don't, I don't know what's in there. And, and so I pass on that. Go to the watermelon, get a piece of watermelon instead. And if you were lucky, somebody would have brought some soft drinks that you normally wouldn't get, you know. Uh, and, and so it was just a great time. And, and my mother, when I was a kid, was really great at this. Somehow or another, um, she persuaded the police to block off each end of our block so traffic couldn't come through. So at, at Bloomfield and at DeVillen, there was two barricades. Now, maybe this wasn't hard. Maybe our block wasn't that popular. But I remember it being a big deal because there was no cars coming, right? And so we would have this parade. And, and the parade was nothing special. Mostly it was just cray paper around your bike spokes, you know. And, but, but everybody was in this parade. Some kids would find an appliance box and maybe paint it up or... You know, kids threw on some clown paint or something, and everybody was in this parade. And we go up and down Blair Street in this parade. So much so that there was nobody watching the parade. We were all in it. <laughs> so you'd have to step out of line and watch the parade for a little while and then get back in it. But, but it was great. I mean, it, and it was, it was a blast, and it was always hot, and it always dissolved into a water fight, and somebody found balloons. We had a blast. It was fun. There was... I don't know what was so fun about it. We were just celebrating. We were, we were celebrating liberty and freedom, just, just a chance to express ourselves. I have, um, back at home, uh, in my drawer, I have my passport. It's my fourth passport, which means I've traveled a lot. I've, I've, I've filled them up, and uh, I've, I've been around the world, mostly on business, but, but some other trips as well. And uh, all, all that really demonstrates is that... Um, there's, there's a lot of miles on, on, on this old body. Um, but I'm an American citizen, and I carry an American passport. It's a valuable thing, because I can go anywhere with this passport, right? And I have traveled across Asia, Africa, Europe, North America. And my favorite part is coming home, because I love my home. I love my family. I love my kids. I love my country. Because if you look through my passports, you'll see places that I've been that are not like here. For instance, my country doesn't tell me, like in China, how many kids I can have. Right? Um, my country doesn't tell me, like in Germany, what kind of school I have to go to. My country doesn't tell me, like in Russia, that I have to carry permission papers to go from city to city and appear on the proper day with the right paperwork. Nor in some uh, Arabic countries what religion I have to follow. My country doesn't imprison me for telling children about Jesus. It's a great country. And in a lot of ways, has been for many years and still is a great country. We have more freedom in America than almost anywhere else on earth. And look at it, whenever a disaster strikes anywhere, we're the first ones in with aid, with financial aid, with the, with the Army Corps of Engineers, America shows up, right? America provides an excellent life for an ordinary guy. You don't have to be anybody special. You don't have to be born into royalty to have a really good life here. You and I can get on the freeway this afternoon and go anywhere. In a tank of gas, we can go anywhere we want to go. We don't require any particular permission to go. We got a free market, a great highway system. We have an outstanding space program, some wonderful natural, national parks. It's a free country. But do you ever feel like maybe it's not as great as it once was? 
Do you ever feel like our founding fathers might not even recognize this place? That, that what they came to put in motion, I mean, remember they, they left for religious liberty and, and they came from overseas to put into motion a great democratic experiment. Do you ever wonder if the day is going to come when God takes away his hand and everything breaks loose? Now, if that happens, it wouldn't be the first time. Uh, stick with this metaphor with me for a second and um, just imagine a timeline. If you could imagine that this door over here, outside of that door, represents everything before creation, before the creation of time. And outside this door represents everything after the end of time and all of eternity. So all of human history is kind of captured in this room from door to door. Okay, you with me so far? So if you go down that door, you're going to find Adam and Eve. And, and, and if you go towards the end down here, you're going to find us. Does that make sense so far? Um, if you remember uh, your ancient history, you'll remember these huge empires that were uh, massive in scope. And very, very powerful. We had the Assyrians for a while, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. Uh, in the Asian side, you had the Ming Dynasty, right? And the Mongols with Genghis Khan and all that. And, uh, and then later, uh, in European history, the Portuguese Empire and the Spanish Empire and the, and the great British Empire, the Nazi Empire. And they all had two things in common. Every one of these. And America now has this in common as being the most powerful country in the world. They were all incredibly powerful. And one by one, they all failed. All of them. And, and I have to wonder, is it possible that maybe in our lifetimes, America is going to be on that list? Is it possible? If this room represents all of human history, uh, the, the size of space that America occupies right now is smaller than a piece of paper, maybe an index card. And my lifespan and yours is about the size of a postage stamp. So if you don't mail letters anymore, maybe you can remember what a postage stamp looks like. <laughs> and I don't mean that to diminish our role or our, our importance to God or anything. Just say, we're part of this epic story. Somehow or another, our little space matters. So let's look at this timeline for a second. You come down here, and, and over by the exit side, God creates Adam and Eve, right? And humanity is born. It's that time period where everyone lasted hundreds of years, you know, and, and, you, and you read through Genesis, and everybody's got these immensely long lifespans, but they're not great people. And, and, and after only about five chapters of Genesis, uh, God changes the story. I'm really not happy with what has been written so far. <clears throat> and he sends a massive flood and wipes out and starts over with Noah. Right, so Noah comes on the scene then, and then you get a bunch of time goes by before God selects a man. You remember, who's he select? Exactly, he selects Abraham. He says, I'm going to build a people around you. Seems like a good idea, but then Abraham starts getting old, and he's like, how can he build a people around me? I'm all dried up, dead. And old. So he ends up making a change to the story himself. Uh, gets with Hagar, gives birth to Ishmael, and Ishmael wanders off in this direction. God said, that's not the story I had in mind. I wanted Isaac. 
So Isaac gets born. Isaac marries Rebecca. She has twins. Esau comes out first, but Jacob tricks him, right? You remember all this, right? This is all part of a big, long story. And it's one continuous thread. Jacob is who God's going to build his people through. Well, Jacob falls in love with Rachel, but he gets tricked into marrying Leah, so the story changes again. And, and he ends up with these 12 boys, right? And he has a favorite. By the way, two things really you should never duplicate in this. Don't have two wives and don't have a favorite kid. <laughs> but he's got this favorite, right? His favorite is Joseph. He's got Reuben and Simeon and Judah and Levi and all these other brothers are sort of mad at Joseph. So they throw him in a well, they take him out of the well, they sell him off to somebody else who ends up taking him to Egypt. Joseph ends up becoming the uh, second in command of all of Egypt. He, through him, is the one who rescues Israel because they have grain. And when the drought comes and the Israelites have to come and buy grain, Joseph's there. So as you keep going through this story, soon the Egyptians forget about the Israelites and they enslave them. They don't remember the story of Joseph and how great he was. And they're slaves for like 430 years before God raises up Moses. Moses leads them out of captivity in the great exodus, right? With me so far? You remember all these stories. They're all connected. So Moses leads them out of captivity. They come out of captivity. Moses doesn't get to go to the promised land, but Joshua does. He crosses. They capture all this land and enter the period of the judges. The judges are some weird dudes when you read through the Old Testament. There's a couple of them that we remember, Gideon, Samson, Deborah. Most of them are not really all that memorable. But during this whole time, the people are going, hey, everyone else has a king. We want a king. We want a king. And uh, despite being warned, uh, God lets them have a king. Their first king is Saul. Saul's a pretty good guy in some ways. He's big. He's handsome. He's got a horrible temper. There's something wrong with him. He keeps throwing spears at David. But he's the first king. David becomes the second king. He's the king. He's the guy who's after God's heart. And he says, Lord, why do I live in a palace and we're still dragging around a tabernacle? We want to build a temple. God tells him that's a good idea, but it's not going to be who gets to do it. It's going to be your son, Solomon. So Solomon then builds this massive temple, the most glorious period in Israel's history. It's a huge temple. And he prays and he prays and he prays that God would fill the temple and he would bless the country. And this is what Pastor Chris was talking about a little bit last week in 2 Chronicles 7.14. Temple's dedicated. And God says, now, if my people who are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal your land. Otherwise, if you read the rest of chapter 7, it doesn't turn out so well. So, so Solomon, let's say we're about here. Solomon dies, and two of his sons, um, I mean, God's glory just filled the temple, right? And it lasts for about 20 minutes. Because Solomon dies, and his, two of his sons end up fighting over the kingdom. Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Not great names, but nevertheless, um, Jeroboam uh, and Rehoboam are fighting and fighting about who gets to be king, and they end up dividing the kingdom. You have the ten northern tribes of Israel and the two southern tribes of Judah. And the ten northern tribes from the time of the glory of God filling the temple to that whole bunch being carted off into captivity by Assyria is about 245 years. That's about all they lasted. 
Judah's struggling along. They're not doing terribly, but they've got this succession. Israel had this succession of terrible kings, just one worse than the next. Um, Chris talked about Ahab last week and the prophet Elijah. Right? God kept sending prophets. Elijah, Elisha, Jonah, Hosea kept warning Israel, but they wouldn't turn back. So after all that evil piled up, 245 years, God said, nope, he let the Assyrians take them into captivity. Just a little side note. I'm not a big, big fan of biblical numerology or any of that kind of stuff, but 245 years. Declaration of Independence was signed 241 years ago. Is it possible that we're trying God's patience a little bit? Seems to be a parallel here. Judah's in the same boat. They keep getting, occasionally they get a good king, but bad, 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 good, bad, 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 bad. Uh, the kids used to, our children used to have an a, a illustrated children's Bible. And I remember this graph in the back of good king, bad king, and it was mostly bad. Um, <clears throat> so today, we're at about, let's say, right here. Okay, Israel's already gone off into captivity. Judah's sitting here. And they've just gone through 57 years of bad king. Manasseh. Manasseh was a king for 55 years. And he was horrible. If you read in 2 Chronicles 33, the Bible says he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It doesn't stop there, but that one sentence summarizes the guy's entire resume. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. If you read 2 Chronicles 33, you'll see that he brought back idolatry, witchcraft, child sacrifice. He misrepresented God. He told the, Jude, uh, the people of Judah that this is what God wants, so he misled them. He was characterized as being arrogant, and he multiplied Judah's guilt. I don't know if this sounds at all familiar with where we are in our little index card uh, America right now. But if you look at what our country has been like for 57 years, coincidentally, I'm currently 57 years old. So in my lifespan, what has this country looked like? Well, we've done some good things. We've passed a Civil Rights Act. We've put a guy on the moon a couple of times. We, we've done some good things. But, but, in my lifetime, we've taken prayer out of school and said God doesn't matter. That's a personal thing, but it's not a, it, that's not a, a public thing. We have the highest incarceration rate in the entire developed world. In other words, we have 4% of the world's population. We have 22% of the world's prisoners. We imprison people because it's a for-profit enterprise. Make money doing this. Put more of them in there, right? Uh, we have celebrated those things that God calls abominable. We've legalized same-sex marriage. I think we're heading towards same-sex bathrooms. Not sure who wants this, but I guess that's where we're going. Um, there's been just a growing disrespect for authority. I mean, just think about it. When you were a kid compared to now, just think about the comedy that you see on television. Just a growing level of disrespect. We have rampant pornography, um, especially child pornography, uh, objectifying women. Uh, the, 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 
The Bible says about those who exploit children, it'd be better if a millstone was thrown around his neck and thrown into the ocean. But we celebrate this, right? We introduced in my lifetime abortion on demand in 1973. So that since then, there have been 60 million children aborted. Now, the only way I could get my head around a number that size <clears throat> was to discover that that is more than the combined total of the following dictators. Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Pol Pot, Idi Amin. And we've done more legally and voluntarily. Despite that the Bible says rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering. Our national debt. Our national debt has grown 100 times in the last 57 years, so that now it sits at $14 trillion. Put that in perspective, our gross national product's only about $18 trillion, and $14 trillion we owe. The Bible says the wicked borrow and do not repay. So it feels to me, maybe not to you so much, but it feels to me that these Stories from Second Chronicles of all places bear a striking resemblance to the kind of world that we live in today. Right. Feels like it. It, 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 it. it may not be precisely identical, but it is very similar. So into Judah's story of idolatry and witchcraft and child sacrifice is born a new king. His name is Josiah, one of the good guys. And he becomes king at eight years old. That's a weird age to be a king. That's a weird age to be anything. He should be playing Little League Baseball. I mean, he should be learning how to field a ground ball, but he's king, right? He's made king. And, and through Josiah's life, he begins to change the story for Judah. Josiah's grandfather was a loser, right? Manasseh, he's the one that brought in all the witchcraft and everything. His father was a complete dud. He only lasted two years and he was murdered. So he comes from a crummy legacy. He didn't have great things modeled for him. Some of you in this room can identify with this. Some of you can relate. I certainly can. His father was a loser. His grandfather was a, was a loser. But something changed Josiah. Something changed him at eight years old. What was it? Let's look at Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 34. I'm going to read a passage that's, um, uh, it's kind of long, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm picking apart parts of uh, chapter 34. So if you're thumbing through your Bible, uh, you'll have to do a little bit of work to keep up. But let me just read how this, uh, how this reads. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. If you like to write in your Bible, this would be an opportune time to underline. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. If you like to write in your Bible, this is another opportune time to underline. While he was still young, he began to seek God. 
In the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence. He also burned the bones of the priests on the altar and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, as far as Naphtali and all around, with axes. Sounds like he was fairly certain about what he was doing here. These are action verbs. If you were an English teacher, you would be going, oh, good word, good word, right? These were actions. He was tearing up the place. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he began to repair and restore the temple. Hilkiah answered, said to Shaphan the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Another place you might want to underline. He tore his clothes. He was repentant. They hadn't had the word. It was lost, at least for 57 years. When he heard what God demanded of us, he wept, he repented, he tore his clothes. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem with all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. And then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and statutes with all his heart and all his soul. See, with Josiah, there was no compromise at all. It's not going to be a little bit of God and a little bit of Baal. It's not going to be, well, we'll keep a few of the carved idols up because it's some excellent craftsmanship there. I'd hate to burn that. He hacked it all down. He said, I am following God with all my heart, all my soul. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand so that the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenants of God and God of their fathers. And then Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. And this is my favorite part. All his days, they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. All his days. We've all seen it. I mean, you've seen it. I've seen it. Some of us have lived it. Where, 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 where you've seen somebody start out really well. They start out great, but they don't really follow the Lord all their days. On our drive to church this morning, Kay and I, it's a 15-minute drive, 20-minute drive. We're talking about some friends of ours, multiple friends of ours who have divorced later in life, later, 30 years, 25, 30, 35 years married, they never thought about that when they went down the aisle together. Nobody does. Nobody goes down to the aisle looking all pretty in their gown thinking about the day they're going to divorce, right? I don't think. I don't think. I'm pretty sure that's the point where you don't say I do. But, 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 but we were talking about this that life happens. Life gets hard. Things happen. Things change. Things you can't expect. And it gets hard to be faithful and it gets hard to be obedient we've seen it with uh, televangelists I mean you name it you, you, you see many many people who started well and they were really on fire for the Lord and they taught Sunday school class and they led the, the, the mission trips and 
is somewhere along the way the wheels fell off. But not in Josiah's case. In Josiah's case, the word says that all his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. So he was born into a terrible story. He was born with bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king. He was born watching the neighbors from Israel get carted off into captivity. He was born with a terrible grandfather and a loser of a father. But somehow, somewhere, by the grace of God, Josiah said, I don't like this story that I'm in. It's a terrible story. I'm going to rewrite it. And he did. He just rewrote the story. Shouldn't be surprising. God did it. He, he wasn't really crazy about what was going on back here, so he sent a flood. He said, I'm rewriting this thing. Need an editor. If you're in publishing, get an editor. Rewrite this thing. Start over. And that's what Josiah did. He was in the middle of a bad story. But during his reign, all of Judah turned to God. And throughout his life, they never turned back. What did he do? Well, you could read it. He began well. He began well. The word says, while he was still young, he began to seek God. I'm not as young as I once was. No one in this room is. It's part of the aging process. But begin today. He began well. What else did he do? He behaved well. He repented. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he repented. He tore his clothes. He tore down everything that was abominable to God. He started well. He behaved well, and he finished well. He finished well. All his days, they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. So I ask myself, what's it going to take to rewrite America's story? Are, are, are we characterized by the times of Judah? Are we characterized by arrogant leadership, by, by abominable practices, by things that don't please the Lord? Yes and yes and yes. What's it going to take? Don't you just want to pray, Lord, please raise up a Josiah. Would you please, Lord, teach us to repent? Would you bring revival? Would you remind us, Lord God, that if your people called by your name would humble ourselves and pray, seek your face, turn from our wickedness, then, God, would you hear? That's what I want to pray. Uh, Kay and I have been praying for revival for about 30 years. Um, we're not any closer to revival in this country than when we started praying, uh, but we do. We, we keep praying for that. And yet the word seems to impress on us that it's kind of our responsibility. The Lord says, if my people called by my name, this isn't the responsibility of Pennsylvania Avenue, the White House, the Congress. This isn't the responsibility of the Pentagon. The Lord says, if my people called by my name, What's it take to rewrite your own story? Josiah rewrote his. His old man was a loser. His grandfather was a dud. He wrote, rewrote his story. I mean, sometimes you just hate the story you're in. Change it. When our kids were little, 25 years ago, we had the Berenstain Bears books. Did you guys have these? Yeah, who's clapping? Those are awful books, man. <laughs> The Berenstain Bears, these animated books, right? And Stan and Jan Berenstain made a killing on these Bears books that were not good books. They were all the same. Papa Bear was an idiot uh, in every single book. He's an utter failure. I'm like, why am I reading these? I'm reading these books to my kids, and I'm like putting myself in Papa's position here. 
you know, Mama Bear was overweight, but she was kindly and she always had her hair up, you know, and, and, and brother and sister learned some moral lesson at the end of every book, right? I hated them. So, um, so, so I changed them. That's exactly what I did. <clears throat> they were too young to read, so I just made up new words, you know, I just make up new words and, uh, you know, Papa's a hero in one book and, you know, brother's a hero in another book and they do their chores without complaining in the next book. I <laughs> rewrite the story. This was going along great for a long time until, um, you know, I was out of town and the kids are telling Katie, you know, read them the way dad reads them. She's like, she's like, I got nothing. I don't know what your dad's been doing, right? We have grandchildren now. We have two granddaughters. Um, they're four and one and a half. And they have a... Um, uh, a dollhouse that's bigger than they are. They have this three-story dollhouse. And I was down there last month visiting them in Birmingham, and uh, Aubrey's got all her Disney princesses up there on the top floor, and uh, I'm just changing the story. This is what I do. I don't like those stories, so I'm changing it, right? So instead of the prince coming to rescue them, uh, they call out for a pizza, right? So, <clears throat> so, so, so they don't have a prince anymore. They got the pizza delivery man, and he goes all the way up the spiral staircase, and he gets... Finally gets all the way to the top. Rapunzel, I got your pizza here. And she says, what's that got in there? That's, ah, uh, uh, you know I don't like onions. Woo! And she throws them off the roof, right? <laughs> I liked it. Kid, kids were cracking up. So he gets up. He walks all the way back up to the top again. He's like, ah, Belle, I got your pizza for you. And she's going, what? No breadsticks? And she throws them off the roof, right? So, so this is part of our family history. Just change the story. If you, if you, if you don't like the story you're in, change it. What? Who's, who's going who's gonna to argue? I've been going to, uh, uh, to this outplacement office, and um, there's, there's one particular woman there who hasn't got a job, Sheila. And, and Sheila has been telling this story about how she is an unemployed divorcee. Uh, I'm going, okay, it's accurate, but that's a lame story. I mean, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not going for accuracy here, right? I said, Sheila, that's not your story. I had lunch with her and two others on Friday, and I said, here's your story. You're a child of God. You're made in his image. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. You're an administrative machine. You make people better when you're around. That's who you are. That's your story. She said, can you repeat it so I can write it down? <laughs> So what's your story? Is there, is there something in your story that you need to rewrite? Probably. What, what's God commanded of you that you violated? What do you need to repent of? Are you following him with all your heart and all your soul? Those weren't easy questions for me to wrestle with this week. I kept going back to this. I said, well, what did Josiah do? He began well. That can start today. I'm not eight years old anymore. But I can begin well today. He behaved well. He repented and he followed the Lord. I can do that. And he finished well. And for me, that means pouring into the next generation and the next and leaving some kind of a legacy. 
I say this all the time. There might be some in this room who have heard me say it, that 100 years from now, I doubt anyone will know my name. I really doubt anyone will know I ever existed. But if the name of Jesus is exalted somewhere, if the name of Jesus is still in my family tree, if somewhere in the world the name of Jesus is lifted up because of how I lived my life, I like that story. I like that story a lot. There's a second portion to, uh, to Josiah's story uh, that continues on. And it just says, Now Josiah kept the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. They slaughtered Passover lambs on the 14th day of the first month. And Josiah gave the lay people lambs and young goats from the flock, all for Passover offerings for all who were present, to the number of 30,000, as well as 3,000 cattle. These were from the king's possessions, and his leaders gave willingly to the people. They roasted the Passover offerings with fire according to the ordinance and divided them quickly among all the lay people. Then afterward, then afterward, they prepared portions for themselves and for the priests. I like this guy. I like Josiah a lot. Uh, he did a lot. He, 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 he hit the rewind button for Judah. So I'm, we're going back to the Bible. He hit the reform button. So we are cleaning out all the nonsense. He hit the rewrite button and rewrote the story. And then he demonstrated by serving everybody first. 30,000 sheep, 3,000 cattle. We're having a feast. Take it out of my. Made sure everybody else first ate. And then they served themselves. So I don't know what kind of weird story you were born into. Kay and I were born into very weird stories, both of us. Um, my father was an alcoholic. So was his father. But by God's grace, we've rewritten that story. It's just, just a new story. Oh, yeah, it's, it's part of that whole timeline. It's a part of it. It, it. it didn't not happen, but it doesn't define us, right? It doesn't have to define you. 100 years from now, what will be the legacy of your life? Will America even be here 100 years from now? I don't know, but Jesus will. We got everything outside that door for the rest of eternity to spend with him. So if you're living a story that exalts Jesus, that praises him, that pours into the next generation, that's a story worth rewriting. That's a story worth reading. And that's a story worth retelling over and over again. So I hope I haven't made Second Chronicles too dull. It's not the most amazing book in the whole wide world. And not a whole lot of people do Bible studies on Second Chronicles. But just because you got born into a weird story in a weird time, and just because we don't live in a place that honors God fully with all of our nation's heart and soul, doesn't mean we have to stop and settle for that. So rewrite it, keep retelling it, and keep reading it to your ancestors. Thanks. Eric?